Welcome to the Urban Grace Weekly Podcast. Urban Grace is an inclusive ecumenical church in the heart of downtown Tacoma, Washington, that seeks to be a spiritual home for folks from all sorts of backgrounds. Come check us out Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the corner of 9th and Market. And of course, there are more details at urbangrace.org. Good morning. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. The tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It is written, People won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down, for it is written, I will command my angels concerning you and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus replied, again it is written, don't test the Lord your God. Then the devil brought him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I'll give you all these if you bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, Go away, Satan, because it is written, You will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil left him, and angels came and took care of him. This is the word of the Lord. please pray with me. Loving, gracious God, we give you thanks for the day. We give you thanks for your presence in our life, for your spirit that fills us, dwells within us, and spreads out to cover the whole world. We pray that we will experience your spirit in our lives and that we will hear your word for us today. Amen. So this week, as I started, you know, getting ready for Lent, I started looking through some old stuff that I'd written a few years ago, and I remembered a story that I'd totally forgotten about. It was from a couple years ago when my Lenten practice was to stay off the internet before work and instead use that time to run and meditate. And I think it was only on the second day of Lent, I woke up exhausted. I said good morning to my wife and headed out the door. About 15 minutes into my run, I realized that I had forgotten the house key and that Emily had left for work and that I didn't have my phone. I was locked out. So naturally I thought, 
I need to break into my house. And I had just the idea. I uh, climbed up onto our fence, and from there I sort of shimmied along and grabbed onto the railing of our balcony and pulled myself up because I knew that at the time the sliding, uh, the latch on the sliding glass door was broken just a little bit. So if I tilted the door just right, I could uh, get open like three or four inches at the very top of the door. And so, you know, I grabbed a chair and stood on the arms and found, yep, I can squeeze my head through. And I bet I can get my shoulders through as well. And I maybe might even be able to get my hips through. But I also knew that if I attempted this and failed, I would be stuck. <laughs> like, really stuck. Like, my arms and legs would be inside the house, and my feet would be outside the house, and I'd be suspended in the air, and I'd have to yell at some passerby to call the fire department. And as I was sort of weighing my options, I imagined the fire department arriving and, you know, getting out their jaws of life to cut me free and asking, son, why in the world are you stuck in your door? And then I imagined myself having to answer, Lent? <laughs> and Lent is just, in general, confusing enough, so I climbed back down feeling dejected and ran two miles to Emily's work to borrow her key. Of course, she greeted me. Ben, why are you here? And I had to answer, Lent? <laughs> because Lent is the season when Jesus wants you to do weird things, like break into your house. And, and for some of us actually grew up with Lent, so maybe this is normal. But some of us might not be very familiar with Lent. So this morning, I want to spend a little time on why we do things like fast or give things up during Lent. The most obvious answer comes from our scripture today, where Jesus goes into the desert and fasted for 40 days. So then it follows that we should also fast for 40 days. And this is true, but what lies behind those 40 days is a well-worn spiritual path into the desert. As we read the scriptures, we see Moses and Elijah and John the Baptist heading into the desert. Y'all know the first great spiritual movement in the church happened in the fourth century when thousands of monks and nuns moved into the desert. This was so popular that Athanasius of Alexandria wrote that the desert has become a city. People flocked into the desert, not to test themselves or see what they could endure, but because the desert was the birthplace of a spirituality of subtraction. A spirituality of stripping away all the things in our lives that fill our minds and our consciousness. 
I, I don't know if y'all have ever spent an extended period of time without electricity or books or kids or work or whatever it is that normally fills your day. But when we take away the things that crowd our lives, all we're left with is us. Who we are stares us in the face. Not what we do or not what we need to get done, but who we are down deep begins to reveal itself. Years ago, I had a conversation with a friend about sobriety, and she helped me understand the purpose of a spirituality of subtraction. She shared that for her, sobriety was living life without the carrot, living without the thing that she spent her days looking forward to. Because many of us endure the difficulty of our lives by looking forward to how we can escape. Maybe it's a few drinks at the end of the day, or a joint, or a book, or TV, or just dwelling on that vacation we get to take this summer. Whatever we need to escape the difficulty of the present moment, it's a pretty effective and, and frankly, sometimes necessary coping mechanism. But it also distracts us from what life really is. So, for example, when my friend took the carrot away, she woke up to the present moment. She learned to embrace all the aspects of her life. She felt pain more intensely than she'd felt it before. But she also felt joy in a way that wasn't compared to some other future joy she was supposed to be looking forward to. And she found her body which had always been living in the present, even if her mind escaped to some future reality. A spirituality of subtraction is an intentional practice of taking away those things we look forward to the most, with the purpose of waking up to the world that's happening all around us. But I will give some warning that it's not always easy. It's not a coincidence that Jesus subtracts everything from his life and then is tempted. Uh, spirituality of subtraction drags us into the present. It's a disruption. It, it's a disruption that creates awareness. And, and it's not always easy to deal with what we find. There are always reasons that we escape from our lives. And often when we take away the carrot, those reasons start to bubble up to the surface. Because this type of spirituality strips away the chaff of life and provides a wholeness, but it's wholeness by facing our demons. In our text, uh, it's called the devil or Satan. Those are, by the way, Greek words, a Greek word and a Hebrew word that just mean the accuser or the one who is against us. And for Jesus, the accuser is an externalized being that tempts him. But for many of us, the accuser is not some thing on the outside. 
but a voice that lies deep within us. As Nadia Bowles-Weber describes the accuser, she says it's the voice in our head that tells us lies about ourselves and about other people. I'm going to quote her now. She says, the accuser is the voice that continually updates me on the current distance between my ideal self and my actual self between my ideal personality and my actual personality, between my driver's license weight and my actual weight. The accuser repeats the harmful things said to me as a child. It's the voice of the accuser that makes us eat less than we should or more than we should. It makes us spend more hours at work than is healthy. And sometimes we try to silence that voice with alcohol or sex or shopping or carbohydrates or success, all of which are morally neutral in and of themselves, but all of which can cause damage when we use them to try to mute or muffle the accuser. And the spirituality of subtraction strips away our attempts to muffle the voice of the accuser, and in so doing, reveals a path to wholeness by facing our demons. And that might not sound entirely like a ringing endorsement, but to quote the introduction from the Lenten devotional, we know from experience that wounds denied do not go away. They fester only to reveal themselves later with volcanic force. But unless we dare to learn to ride the monsters we so desperately wish to deny, they will devour us and those we love. Of this we can be certain. If we don't transform our experience of pain, we will transmit it. Welcome to Lent, Tacoma. Welcome to a season of desert spirituality. Welcome to a spirituality of subtraction. But before you embark, I want to, if you embark, it's optional, I want to share a few things to help us on our way. I, I have uh, five tips for the journey. Uh, and, and my first, and, and actually like half of them are, are why, for the people who might be thinking, why in the world would I want to do this? My first tip is the most practical. And, and it's that sometimes it helps to replace what we subtract with a practice that will give us time to think or pray or be alone. Back when I was uh, not getting stuck climbing through doors, I subtracted the internet in the morning and replaced it with running and meditation. And, and this is just me, but I needed an intentional discipline so I didn't just waste the time I'd created. And so sometimes it helps to replace what we subtract with a practice that draws us inward, be that prayer or meditation or uh, any way that we want to use that to create space in our lives. And not everything works like this. There's, there is also value in longing. Sometimes when we give up, you know, 
dessert or alcohol or shopping, we do so so we notice the absence of something we love. So just consider if it makes sense to add a Lenten practice as well as subtract. All right, now my second tip. When, uh, and that is that this is just the beginning. When Jesus goes into the desert, Satan tempts him with bread, religion, and power. Satan says, turn these stones into bread. Perform a dramatic miracle at the temple so everyone will love you. Worship me and everyone will obey you. And Jesus nopes out of these temptations, but this is just the beginning. Crowds will follow Jesus because he feeds people and performs miracles. Crowds will shout Hosanna when they believe he plans to overthrow the Romans. Satan names these three things the crowd's desire of Jesus throughout his life. Satan actually names three things that Jesus has the power to do, three things that would fix all of his problems, three things he'll have to continue to resist throughout his life. So the desert is not the place Jesus goes to deal with his stuff once and for all. It's the beginning of his journey. It's where he prepares for the demons he'll face the rest of his life. So don't be discouraged if Lent doesn't fix all that ails us. Don't be discouraged if it's a little difficult. And remember our third tip. It's only 40 days for a reason. When we give up something that we are saying, uh, when we give up something, we're not saying it's bad. We're just saying that we want space in our life to be aware of what we're attached to. And this season of Lent, a season of taking away, isn't supposed to be forever. And in fact, good news, friends, Sundays are feast days where we break our fast. When we say that Lent is 40 days, we actually aren't counting Sundays. Because even in the midst of Lent, we need reminders that the hardship doesn't last forever. Lent is a temporary trip into the desert to see what the silence reveals. And then in Easter, our new season of life, we can reflect on what we've learned and if and how we want it to shape our life going forward. So that's our third one. The, my fourth tip is that, that Lenten practices aren't mandatory. Lent is a season where we go into the desert willingly because we want to get to know our true self better. We're training for times that we'll be actually forced to go into the desert against our will. We're training so we'll be familiar with our accuser that will come at us. But some of us don't need to head into the desert because we're already there. I, I practiced a, a spirituality of subtraction for many years but during one this really difficult year, maybe the hardest year of my life, I, my Lenten discipline was survival. I gave up nothing for Lent that year because it felt like parts of my life were falling apart and, and I just didn't need to walk in the desert because I was already there. 
So if that is you, you don't need to do anything else. You just need to know that you're not alone. And that is my last tip, is that you aren't alone. Much of the work we do in the desert during Lent is interior work. We search deep within ourselves. It's solitary, and yet we're not alone. We are all out here together, learning how to be free from all that binds us. As Athanasius said, there is a city in the desert filled with spiritual folks who undertake the courageous path of knowing themselves better. For thousands of years, faithful people have taken this journey. Let them be your guide. And it's not just people in the past, also in the present. I mean, faithful and spiritual folks all over our city are taking on Latin disciplines, and particularly in our community. You have a community that's undergoing the same thing. And it is just really different to be all by yourself in the desert than it is to be there with people who love you. I, I just remember once, uh, just I, I was just in the midst of it. I was going through something really rough, and I was sitting around a table, and I looked across and I saw someone who was, uh, the details don't matter, they were in the midst of just a really hard season of life. And it just, it was a life raft. Not that we had to say anything, not that we needed to, you know, compare our experiences, but just to know that in that moment, they also knew what pain looked like. And they were suffering with me the same way that God suffers with us. We take this journey together. Those who embrace the desert road willingly and those who are already in the desert waiting for companions. So we invite you to join, to take on a practice that simplifies our life and draws us inward. We invite you to search for God in the silence expanse of Lent, our season of desert spirituality, our season of subtraction. Amen. Christ, have mercy, 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 Christ, have mercy,
As we come before you with the needs of our world, we confess our failures and our sin. For our words are many, yet our deeds have been few. Fan the fire of compassion once again. take some now in this space to confess our sins. But before we confess, we hear the assurance of forgiveness. We do this because we need the reminder that God's forgiveness is not like human forgiveness. It's not a transaction. Even before we confess our sins, we have been forgiven. And that means we repent not to avoid punishment, nor to get something in return. Rather, we confess so that we can bring our whole self to the one who loves every part of us. We are reminded of God's forgiveness so that we have the courage to search deep within ourselves to those areas where we may feel shame. We carry the promise that even the things about ourselves that disgust us the most are loved and forgiven by God. So here now, friends, our God who is faithful and just has mercy on us. Our sins have been forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called beloved by the Most High. Thanks be to God. So let us pray. We confess that we are caught in cycles of sin, and you are our only hope. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Holy Spirit, you speak to our deep needs to be forgiven, to be known and still loved, to be freed to begin again, to live content in joy and hope. In you is life. For you are faithful and just. You hold the words of life. 
and promise that our sins have been forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called beloved by the Most High. Thanks be to God. Amen. Just a few notes before we celebrate communion together. You can break bread from the common loaf, or we have individual gluten-free wafers. We have wine in the common cup, and you can come and dip the bread in the cup, or we have juice in individual cups. Also know that kids are welcome to come forward, either for a blessing or to receive communion. The kids will be on their way back soon. And, and really know that every person in this room is welcome to take communion. You don't need to be a member of Urban Grace Church or any church. This is Christ's table, and all who are hungry are welcome. And that's, you know, we do this because that's what Jesus did. He ate with all kinds of folks, with doubters and believers and skeptics, with rich and poor with leaders and followers and scholars and fishers and widows and tax collectors and sex workers. So come now, not because you understand, but because you want to know God more. Come not because you love God a lot, but because you love God little and want to love more. Come not because your faith is unshakable, but because you could use some strength for the journey. Come not because you are already perfect and worthy, but because it is Christ himself who invites you to share this feast. Come and give thanks for Jesus the Christ, who was born of peasant parents, who was a friend of lepers and tax collectors, who chose a life given up for others. Remember that on the night before he died, he shared a meal with his friends. He took bread and gave thanks for it, saying, this is my body given for you. And then after, the, after supper, he took a cup of wine and blessed it and gave it to them, saying, this is my lifeblood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we pray now, come Holy Spirit of God, come upon us and upon these gifts of bread and wine, that in sharing this feast we may become the body of Christ. Lord, break down walls of selfishness and fear and prejudice that lie within us, and bring us all into a new age in which none are hungry and all are fed. Amen. Would the communion servers please come forward?
broken.